0: Welcome back to another edition of the Veries and Numerous podcast. Special thanks to our sponsors who, uh, without them, we wouldn't be able to do this show every week for you guys. Uh, new sponsor this week, Thunder Games. Thunder Games creates games that integrate Bitcoin and process payments via the Lightning Network. They have numerous different games that run their own node. If you wish to connect, their public key is available over at Thunder Games. That's T-H-N-D-R dot games forward slash. And then then if you want to go over there and check out their uh, Telegram and Twitter, it's also available on there. You can uh, hop into the community. Thunder Games are making mobile games which enable players to win Bitcoin for free using the Lightning Network to send prizes. I love to see this as uh, somebody who's a proponent of the Lightning Network and watch it scale. So head over to Thunder Games, that's T-H-N-D-R, period, games, and download their app in the iOS or Google Play Store today. VinxCoin, VinxCoin is the world's first decentralized fine French wine and vineyard backed security token offering, STO, where anyone can be a fine French wine and vineyard owner from the comfort of their own homes. Uh, VinxCoin removes high costs To enter the fine French wine And vineyard ownership markets Head over to VinxCoin.com To see what they're up to over there Trios, trios Trios.io What is Trios? Trios is an economy and an ecosystem Trios is a direct reference to a decentralized money That will power a new economy In the future the term Trios Will become synonymous With cryptocurrency and virtual financial assets VFAs Their payment methods, their ecosystem, and their general use as a utility uh, and a store of value. Visit trios.io. Charon Coins, you found the brick-and-mortar financial institution where you can safely trade dollars for Bitcoin, USD, to BTC, over-the-counter OTC, and person-to-person. They facilitate transactions of all sizes, including high-volume transactions. Their headquarters is located in Milwaukee, servicing the MKE, Areas of Lakefront, East Side, River West, and all of Wakaja County. More than being just an OTC location, they are here to educate you about Bitcoin wallets, blockchain, cryptocurrency, security, and platforms. If you're in the Milwaukee area, you can also visit their Bitcoin ATM, where more locations will soon be coming. Visit Charon Coins, at C H A R O O, C H A R O N coins.com bitcoin sov bitcoin store value is an emerging community driven project that has a decentralized team the world over it is a proof of work mineable erc20 and has a deflationary design with token burns to ensure your value is stored over time visit bsov.io Lucio Poletti is a digital artist who did that masterpiece right there on the wall, The Andy Warhol, and self-described propagandist known for his iconic Bitcoin artworks. Lucho Poletti's number one goal is to spread the message that Bitcoin is better money. Check out Lucho's work. He has pages of it, uh, merchandise, all, all the works over at Lucho Poletti. That's L-U-C-H-O-P-O-L-E-T-T-I.com. FlashCoin. FlashCoin is a reinvention of Litecoin built to scale for worldwide commerce and fast enough to handle everyday transactions. The flexible and easy to integrate core code allows exchanges and wallets to add Flash to their platform within hours. With a settlement time of around five seconds and consensus within two minutes, anyone, anywhere can use Flash mobile wallet as easily as cash or credit card. Visit FlashCoin.io. That's F-L-A-S-H-Coin.io. And as always, remember, nothing written or spoken on briar.io should be interpreted as financial advice. Always do your own research. You are the captain of your own financial ship and control your own personal financial sovereignty. I appreciate everyone for watching and please enjoy or listening and please enjoy this episode. All right, back again here for episode number 14 of the various and numerous podcast with Philip Kennedy, financial advisor, forensic accountant, author, and host of Kennedy Financial, uh, the best financial podcast out there, the one that I watch when I'm not uh, doing my own thing uh, working or on his his show. He's had me on quite a few times, and a good friend of mine. Welcome to the show, sir.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me back, R.L. Just to be clear, I'm a financial counselor. Financial counselor. We're (laughs) We're able to get away with talking about these financial education topics. It's it's never advice and you should never put money towards anything that you heard about on a podcast. I misspoke there. My fault. Financial counseling. No, it's not your fault. Yeah. I mean, that's just something that we all need to be in the practice of, right? Because we you watch these shows and right. you see people, people holding themselves out there.
0: Absolutely. So I wanted to start off today with... Uh, uh, since you're a man of many hats as as the intro implies i wanted to uh ask you with this downturn whether your marginal your marginal uh, productivity has gone up down or remained equal during this uh crisis
1: you know i have such a cynical outlook on this and the reason i do is because i'm a bitcoiner right i believe in sound money free markets and real economics we don't have any of those and this global pandemic, the shutdown, has really kind of pulled back the curtain on that. So for people like you and me who really understand the way things should be, it's kind of frustrating. You know, It's almost akin to like if we were in the ma- game, middle of a game of Monopoly and someone just dumped a mountain of Monopoly money in the middle of the board and they were like, have at it, guys. Like, Sure, for the uninformed, that might seem pretty cool, but the reality is you just screwed up that entire game. So I find myself these days being very apathetic. You know, why work hard? Why try to do the right thing? You know, and that's why it's good that we have finally Bitcoin. We can opt out of this whole evil system. And slowly but surely, I think people will gravitate towards that. You know, why is it that these wise government overlords should be in charge of money? They've screwed it up so many times. And now here they are with their $2 trillion stimulus <laughs> bill, screwing it all up again. That That's more from a, a macro standpoint. On a personal level, it's mm-hmm. nice to spend time with the kiddos and be around the house doing projects and things like that and having the ability to do a podcast at lunchtime with you. So that's pretty cool. But overall, I'm very concerned about the direction that this country will now head as a result of finally realizing that the economy wasn't really as strong as everybody thought it was. I mean, have you seen the footage already coming out of some of the Rust Belt states of people in line in their cars heading to food pantries? I mean, that's not supposed to happen, right? After shutting down the economy for two or three weeks.
0: Yeah, it's, it's definitely crazy. it's definitely scary what's already taking place, and then it's sort you know they. I just. I personally, I've been saying this since the beginning. I got a little bit of a uh, flack on your so I think when you when you had Da Vinci on, I think he kind of thought I was not, you know, saying taking it seriously at all. But I honestly think the outcome of the economic uh, decisions that are being made and just shutting down, you know, basically the economy all over the world is sort of uh, more dangerous to the overall situation than the virus. And that, you know, I'm not a physician either, but um, just looking at it right now. I still think that I still feel that way. What do you think? What's your opinion? Do you think that we need to, everybody should be sheltering in place or in in the home or what?
1: Yeah. So I saw this meme that came out and you know, it's one of these diagrams of the two circles and the one circle says, you know, the virus is very serious. And the other is, I don't trust the government to handle that. And then in the middle it says me and that's really how I feel. I've been concerned about this since late January. I even went back to check my tweets just to make sure. When we saw that footage coming out of China, I realized they are not dumping mounds of dirt in front of tunnels because they've had 56 deaths or whatever. Right. And then you find out that their crematoriums are running 24 seven and they show footage outside of hospitals, like of a van just pulling away and some adult daughter you know, sobbing. So it was very clear. That this was almost a methodical method to dispose of bodies that were dying in countless amounts. So I knew it was serious. On the other hand, you know, with my deeply held personal beliefs towards libertarianism and Austrian economics, I just feel like the government's incapable of handling almost anything. If we're have if we're to have a government at all, it's to protect us from force and fraud. And, and that's really it. So Sure. Do we have organizations that are well informed about a global pandemic like COVID-19? We do. Are they the right people to be offering suggestions about what we should do in the midst of a global pandemic? Possibly. I think the government's job in this instance is to warn people. And I think that this is an area where Trump may be right, you know, in terms of not necessarily the shutdown, but. Early on, he said, look, you know, we can't shut down the economy in perpetuity because it's going to lead to suicides, domestic violence, drug abuse. And it's true. I mean, idle hands are the devil's playground. And I'm I've already run out of stuff to do here at my house other than be on your great show and a couple others. Um, I kind of wish I was handy. I'd put a patio on the back of my house or something like that.
0: It's a perfect time (laughs) to get uh, something like that done.
1: Yeah, any outdoor work. We've got some landscapers coming over pretty soon. This, this really hasn't slowed down the outdoor economy. You know, those, those uh, guys are doing great. I saw roofers hard at work the other day. But I imagine you and I share the same belief where there are things that come around that are dangerous, like smoking, and the government can offer their suggestion. And then it's up to every individual to make their own choice. Me personally, and I said it on Crypto Blood, or I think he and I were tweeting back and forth. I said, you know, should people have the right to go attend a 1200 person church service? Sure. As far as I'm concerned, mm-hmm. would I do it with my family? Absolutely not.
0: Right. Just, it all comes down to us making our own decisions. I agree with you. So, and uh, you know, a lot, it's it's good to have a, a business built around, you know, online right now too, where, you know, you, so a lot of us can work still and uh, you know, you still make a little bit of money while this is going on. You know, a lot of people were completely out of work and it's scary for everybody. So our thoughts are with those guys. Um, so I wanted you to explain in, you know, very easy terms. You're, you're really good at this stuff. Just explain what, how we got in this situation. Uh, this is basically the pin, the pop, the bubble, but can you explain to everybody that doesn't, isn't real familiar with uh, the Austrian theory of the business, business cycle and, just how governments destroy money and uh, everything basically.
1: Yeah, that, that's easy. That's kind of what my whole show is based on. So if folks aren't familiar with Austrian business cycle theory, they should go to the Mises Institute and just start researching it. But if you wanted an armchair, quick elevator pitch on what it is to a guy like me, it's very simple. Everything's supposed to have a price, including money. When you distort the price of money, you create something called malinvestments. When you make interest rates too low, artificially low, you send a signal to the marketplace that there's more savings than there is in actuality. And that causes business owners to pursue malinvestments, they misallocate resources, and this creates a financial bubble, a bubble economy. And that's why if anybody's been following me on Twitter for the last five years, you'll see me poking fun And it's just poking fun at things like all these breweries that popped up all over the place. I mean, it was almost like you probably have a friend somewhere in your circle of Fred's RL who either loves breweries and has gone to all these brand new ones or they started one or they want to start one. So that's just one example, you know, they think they can do it because, Hey, I have always thought it'd be cool to start a brewery. And the market is telling me there's plenty of savings out there to do it. And in reality, it's a false signal and it uh, shouldn't be pursued. And that's really now what we're seeing as a result of this global pandemic is there isn't any savings. People can't go even one paycheck without suddenly their cupboards being bare. They had been forced to drive up to their local food pantry and wait in line. And that's not how a good economy is supposed to function. We think it's normal because The Fed pursued this policy after the 2008 financial crisis. Ben Bernanke said on 60 Minutes in March 2009, hey, we'll eventually unwind this policy. We'll increase interest rates, unwind our balance sheet, and have an an adjustment that doesn't involve inflation. And he was wrong on all three of those points. And that's because Keynesian economics doesn't work. We know that time and time again. But the reason politicians and our wise government overlords like to employ it is because it promises something for nothing. And if you're a politician, you love to promise something for nothing because that's what gets your votes and gets you reelected and gets you a nice long career You know, in Congress, shorting the market when you have suddenly been in a, con- a private conference telling you, hey, this global pandemic is going to be worse than we think. Boom, you know, whose first call I'm making out of that meeting? I'm gonna call my stockbroker. Nobody leaves Congress without being a millionaire. AOC might get run out of office and she might still leave after two years a millionaire. Right. That's how insidious the system is and that's essentially what uh artificially low interest rates do to the market.
0: So do you think that's a good explanation. Do you think that these guys that went to Harvard and Yale and these Ivy League uh, skull and bones guys, um, you know, are these, are these accidental decisions or is the theory that, you know, uh, the money that, you know, is printed or created, you know, these people lend it or get it to their friends first. And then, uh, by the time it gets to, uh, Joe store owner or whatever, the middle class, uh, or the lower class that it's been devalued. Do you think that's, uh, um, you know, an accident or what, what's your thoughts?
1: Well, isn't that Gresham's law, right? You know, bad money chases out good. On top of that, when you're the early recipient of bad money, you get to spend it first thereby being rewarded with that current money's purchasing power only for lower classes to later experience the higher prices that resulted as, as because of you spending this newly minted currency. So, if you explain it to a child that I have, because I have two of them and you know, my eight year old saw my make gold money again mug the other day. And he's like, you know, dad, what's that mean? He's kind of starting to really hit that age of reason. And he's really inquisitive. That's cool. And I told him, I said, look, man, imagine you and I were playing a game like, I don't know, operation. O- operation is a game that has phony currency. Right. And let's just say that you messed up, but or, I'm better yet, I'd like to put it on me so he really sees it. I messed up, the buzzer goes off, but I still give myself money anyway. He's like, Well, that wouldn't be fair. And I'm like, Yeah, it's not fair at all, buddy. It's not fair one bit. And so, when you explain it to a child and they can see it that way, why don't ordinary Americans understand it? Well, unfortunately, they've been educated in a government school system. And they really aren't familiar with the mechanics of our monetary system and the Federal Reserve and our fiscal system. So they're just struggling to make ends meet. So that's why it continues to work. It always has worked until finally there's a hyperinflationary depression, and then they roll out an entirely new financial system. But by then, you know, that generation is dead, and then it takes a whole new generation of people read really learn this that's why you know people joke we're destined to have a depression every 80 to 100 years because there's no one left alive who can remind everybody what it was like
0: exactly right?
1: yeah unfortunately people have to live through this for themselves
0: yeah it seems like we are at that at that threshold now where uh, what you just explained where you know the people that experienced the last you know the Great Depression my grandma's am pushing what she say 87 88 and, you know, that generation, uh, we just, we, Americans are so comfortable now. Even the, even the lower class, I, I was listening to a Tom Woods lecture. I don't remember how long ago it was, but he was giving a lecture and talking about how, you know, people today in colleges and stuff like the rage upon capitalism. But, uh, you know, today we live, the lo- the lowest Americans live better than the, you know, the Habsburgs or whatever did back in the day. So, they didn't even have refrigerators. It's like people have completely lost touch with reality in a lot of situations. So it's interesting to, um, to just, you know, compare and contrast different eras. So I wanted to ask you about this fourth turning that you got, you've been talking about. What, can you explain what that is? Because I think you said, was it Lawrence Lipo How do you say his name? leopard Yeah. leopard He mentioned that. And then you've been talking about that a lot too. So can you explain what that is? Sure. So the fourth turning, turning
1: came out of this book called the fourth turning written by how and i'm not gonna remember the other name until i pull it up here on uh the good old google okay. yeah strauss and how and what the book argues is that every generation there's four, every generation is in a specific category and each successive generation uh, goes through the next step. So for example, you have the, let me make sure I get this right. Cause I don't, I don't want to screw this up. This is very important and it's not off the top of the dome. So
0: okay.
1: uh, the first turning you have, uh, this is an era of prosperity or, you know, reconstruction. Like, so example would be uh, the reconstruction period. Uh, second turning, you know, third Great Awakening, uh, third turning, World War I, and a fourth turning is usually a collapse like the Great Depression, World War II, something like that. And what the authors discovered is that these turnings repeat every four generations, just like they did the last time. So we have been experiencing the third turning for most of our lives, but these guys argue that around 2008, We entered the fourth turning. And again, this is a period of crisis, institutional upheaval, major sweeping paradigm shifts. And that's really what we're witnessing right now. And that's what we're living through. So on the one hand, it seems like things were normal, but the reality is we're compared to the rest of history. They weren't. And so now what we're going to discover is that a lot of people are are going to struggle with the reality of harder economic times. Nobody cares about my preferred pronouns anymore. Gosh, (laughs) climate change really seems to be on the back burner. Hey, you know, what about transgendered sports? None of that's going to matter anymore, okay? All of that was only on the table because times were good. Now that we've entered the fourth turning, all that goes away. And this is why I was arguing with uh, Dan Bongino on Twitter. You know, he posted, hey, we're Americans. You know, we won the Civil War and World War I and World War II. And what he's kind of pointing out is, look, those generations were completely different than the population of people that we have today. You know, I, I posted yesterday, uh, you familiar with this actor, Josh Gad? he's been in a bunch of movies including frozen and he was in 21 that movie based on the book. Uh, I've heard his voice then if he was yeah, bringing down the house. Yeah. You've heard his voice. He, uh, he took to Twitter early on and his post was, you know, it's okay to cry. <laughs> My reaction was, you know, what would Arlie Ermey, the actor who played, uh, the, the boot camp instructor on platoon, you know, what, what would he think of this this guy? Right. right? You know, so we having never known any real hardship, but here he is, all he's got to do is quarantine. He's telling the world, you know, it's okay to cry. It's like, dude, you haven't had to do anything. All you got to do is sit there and eat. You've got millions of dollars from being in this profession that doesn't exist anywhere else on the planet, like kind of enjoy it. Right. And it's just amazing how quickly people go soft. So, what I like to say, and I you know, heard uh, Tim Kennedy say it first on Joe Rogan podcast, and I'm sure he got it somewhere else, is hard times make strong men that make good times that make weak men that make hard times. So we are at the point in history, or at least our personal history, where weak men have made what will be hard times, which will make strong men. So my boys will hopefully turn out to be strong men, but yeah. they're going to live through some hard times.
0: Yeah, it does seem like it's just time for that, uh, whatever you want to call it, the cleansing or whatever to take place. So I wanted to ask you about that. Nice explanation of that, too. So let's head into the uh, what's going on with, uh, you know, we're we're talking about the economy. What do you what's best to be in right now? Do you think how would you tell somebody out there? I mean, you know, we don't want to tell everybody what to do, but we're just talking between t- us two, I guess, here. What what are, you, what are your thoughts on how you should break down a portfolio um, if, you, if you were to, uh, just, just between you and I here, crypto, gold, silver, uh, fiat, stocks? What do, you, what do you think? I mean, I'm just throwing this at you right now without any preparation. I didn't give you the list of the questions I was going to ask or anything, but what are your thoughts?
1: I think it's very simple, RL. You know, the reason I wrote my free ebook back in 2015 is because I was discovering that most people don't have $400 saved for an emergency. So you don't have to be Nostradamus to figure out what's gonna happen in the midst of a global pandemic where there's potentially a shutdown, how ordinary Americans are going to survive that particular experience. They're not gonna do well. So the first thing everybody needs to do is put away As much cash as they possibly can. And now it's obviously too late as we record live here in early April 2020. But to prevent this experience from happening themselves again, you need to have at least three to six months of an emergency fund. After that, in my book, I say, hey, go and get yourself three to six months of the same amount in gold or silver that you store at your home in your own possession or somewhere safe, maybe at your dad's place because he lives off in the mountains or something, and you trust him, and he's got a nice safe or, or something like that. I would do that. And then beyond that, make sure all your debts are paid, except maybe your house, because the government has screwed up housing so much that it really doesn't offer much of an incentive to have a paid off mortgage. I know that goes against some of the wisdom of Dave Ramsey, but I don't think Dave Ramsey understands Austrian business cycle theory and malinvestments and what an artificially low interest rate does to the economy. So, uh that's where he and I differ. But I I I would not pay off my house. I would probably leverage it as much as I could. Uh from there, I would look at non-traditional investments, alternative investments like gold mining stocks, bitcoin, some of the quality altcoins, you know, I, I'm biased because I own a lot of Litecoin myself. I think Litecoin is kind of the sleeper in the crypto community. You don't hear people talk much about it other than the Litecoin fam. So from that perspective, you know, I think Litecoin could have a, I don't know, three to four bagger against Bitcoin alone in the next couple of years. So those are some of the things I look at. Uh, as always, not financial advice, not a recommendation. This is just what I do personally. Because we're entering the fourth turning, we're entering a new economy, things aren't going to be the way they were. And uh, for anybody who understands crypto, man, this stuff is so much more portable than any other financial asset out there. I mean, you and I could leave today with 12 words on our brain and go start new lives in Portugal, you know, Malta, you name it. Right, I'm how going we, to Spain or, or Italy. I'm a,
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm a big Barcelona football fan, so I'm going there. Maybe Roma. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, the point is, we could get out of here if we wanted to and be all right. And uh, you know, you can take your wealth across the border. I know that, that that's not possible with specie money unless you're on a private plane. Maybe there, it's you can you can get across the border a little bit easier. I actually was gonna ask you um, next about your book. You you jumped the gun on me one question. You, wrote, you released it in 2015, right? That's what you said?
1: Yeah, I think it was uh, December 31st, 2015. I gave myself a deadline, so we were literally uh, putting the finishing touches on it on New Year's Eve.
0: What, uh, tell everybody that hasn't read it, What? give a quick synopsis about it.
1: So this is kind of like my seven to 10 step plan of what ordinary middle-class people can do to protect themselves from things like a global pandemic, a major recession, and economic depression, which I think we're heading into now, finally. you know, I was joking, a lot of us in this alternative finance community take a lot of heat, right? I imagine you've seen it before for, from friends and relatives and acquaintances you may have who are no-coiners. Right. Where they're like, oh, you're you're still you're still talking about that RL? Like that hasn't gone away yet. You know? And I heard it the other day.
0: That,
1: yeah. Absolutely. So you can sympathize with me a little bit in that being in ANCAP, I am of the belief that the dollars days as the reserve currency are numbered. And whether it collapsed in twenty sixteen or twenty thirty. Either way, that's kind of a blink of an eye in terms of world financial history. Right. So although we all tend to have a normalcy bias as Americans and thank gosh, you know, this is the standard of living that we've grown accustomed to, you know, we are the, we hold the world's reserve currency and we're able to send those endless fiat currency units over to China and then they ship us goods back that we get to buy cheap on Amazon. And that's the way it should be. (laughs) And the reality is, no, throughout (laughs) much of recorded history, that's not the way things have been. You know, you need to have a sound money that people can believe in in the long run. You need to be a producer nation. You can't be a consumer nation in perpetuity. So I think we have a, a rude financial awakening coming up for us. And that's really what I tried to address with the book. You know, I tried to lay out all the examples in the ways that the Fed has screwed up. I tried to explain how the housing market will continue to just be one big bubble that will benefit some people, but the vast majority are going to get screwed. Mm -hmm. I talked about preparedness a little bit in there, you know, having some food, ammunition, bullion, things like that. And it was really just a game plan for your ordinary person to be able to weather the storm for something like this. And I made it free on my website. So that everyone can get it, I think what uh, even Mike Maloney is discovering nowadays—he's given his book away for free as a PDF. Sometimes when you give something away for free, that's the amount of value that people place on it. So the, you know, it, it's it's kind of a double-edged sword there. But uh, folks can still get it for free, and they can still help themselves—just you know, read it. It's only a hundred pages, so it probably would only take you a weekend, and you'll understand all the problems that we have here in the US economy and what you can personally do to fix it. And then I direct you to other resources that are sitting probably right here on my shelf that can help you out further.
0: I would highly recommend people uh, read his book. He's got a lot of great insights as you can tell here. Uh, I like I like how you laid that out about uh, China uh, producing the goods that we uh, we scoop up with inflated currency. Uh, Peter Schiff had an interesting analogy that he used in his mortgage. You and I have a love-hate with Peter. Peter Schiff, but uh, we agree with one of them. We agree with him. I think about probably ninety-something percent of what he says, other outside of crypto. Um, about Huck Finn and the book Huck Finn and how uh, you know I think it was Huck Finn, where uh, you know the guy, the kid, convinces his friends to uh, what is it paint paint his fence. For them and then mm-hmm. they 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 actually thank him for their toil <laughs> right. and that's Definitely. sort of how you know the us us economy has been uh shaped the last I don't know how many years it's been a long time now so yeah it's funny to think about that and how we've kind of i don't I don't know if you want to say tricked because i I know you know these politicians are still making out either way but the people that are the governed are not so it's a good way a good way to put that. Um what so I think debt to debt to GDP is 125% now. So what do you sort of think uh you know, I, I like to make these uh these guesses or whatever you want to call them, prognostications about what's gonna happen like all the time in crypto. I, I always put these arbitrary dates out, like twenty thirty. I'm still thinking we're gonna be over a hundred thousand dollars, and I think this bull run will see sixty five K. But where do you see uh, us going in the next decade in crypto and where do you actually think the dollar could collapse or what do you think? What do you think will happen? So
1: first I have to kind of give my thesis on what I think crypto is, uh, specifically Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the freest market in the world, right? Guys like you and me and caps, we wish we had a free market in stocks, (laughs) right? We wish we had a free market in education and healthcare. We're not going to get that government has completely taken over the closest thing in products that where we have a free market is probably electronics. But even that, you know, there's probably all sorts of shenanigans that go on that we don't know about in terms of a financial free market. Crypto is the only place in the world that is totally free trades 24 seven. There are no circuit breakers. The plunge protection team is not coming in to save guys like me and RL When we see a 20% drop 50%
0: three weeks ago. (laughs) Yeah.
1: They're they're not riding into the rescue. And you know that I know that, but I think deep down that's why we like it. Right. We take the upside along with the downside and we're fine with that. And we also realize that we're kind of a dinghy in the ocean right now in the midst of a cat five financial storm. So we're going to get tossed around. And I think that's why trace uses this term called battled scarred you know, those guys in the early days really were battle scarred. I mean, when you could buy Bitcoin for 30 and then watch it fall down to two bucks, I mean, what kind of strong hands did you have to have to wait for the next two years on this totally speculative thing that like didn't even have a billion dollars in market cap, right?
0: <laughs>
1: a <laughs> billion dollars being be a pipe
0: today. dream, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. But you and I, I think we're battle scarred a little bit. Not like the, the real early guys, but The reality is we're still very early. And despite the fact that we're very early, if you hold Bitcoin, Litecoin, and some other quality alts with a significant market cap, anything over say a hundred million dollars, you are holding some of the soundest money in the world. Bitcoin is the soundest money in the world when you really break it down. trustless immutable a decentralized ledger censorship resistant monetary sovereignty there is nothing better right now on the planet so i think because you and i are so battle scarred and we've been through so much since 2017 waiting for this market to come back we thought it was happening last summer and man we got crushed again by another tidal wave we are the floor (laughs) we're the ones propping up this market we're the ones who aren't gonna Sell for anything less than sixty-five thousand dollars because that's how much hell we've been through. So I think there is going to be a payoff down the road. Whether it just like my, you know, dollar uh, crisis prognostication, whether it comes in two years or five or ten, is immaterial. There is going to be a payoff. It's mathematically proven. It's just it has to happen. Otherwise, crypto is going to go away and cease to exist so it's kind of an either or that's why people call it an asymmetric asset, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you could own 1% that suddenly becomes worth more than your entire portfolio. And that's what a lot of guys have seen, you know, the twenty twenty seven the or the 2017 bubble, you know, some guys owned like 5% of their portfolio. And next thing they had to rebalance because they were like, Holy smokes. Like, my Bitcoin is worth more than the rest of my financial portfolio combined. So they, they, <laughs> they were, they were prudent. They were wise. They sold and bought, you know, some gold and silver and Tesla or whatever. Uh, they were smarter than I was, but yeah, I just think that this is what our generation wants. Uh, you know, I, I made Gen X just by the skin of my teeth. My wife is a, a millennial, and I, I mean, you know it, man. Like, do your compatriots in the millennial generation really want to store a bunch of gold and silver? No, they want to no, they don't. They're staring at this all day, man. Right. They're staring at a phone all day. They're on Cash App, they're on Coinbase. This is where the puck is going. And I just see it as honestly the biggest opportunity probably in 10 20, 100 lifetimes. I mean, we're taking it for granted now because we're living through it. But I think someday, a couple hundred years from now, people are going to be looking back and saying, wow, you know, your grandfather had the opportunity to buy Bitcoin when it was $6,000, $7,000. Wow. Right.
0: Yeah, we'll <laughs> be all gone probably, but, in, you know, 100 years, it will be pretty, pretty cool just to know that we're hopefully, you know, these videos – Exists somewhere. I don't know whether it'll be YouTube or whatever, but I, I you know, in the the books, uh, the books, hopefully people pick those up and they're like, wow, these guys were so far ahead of the curve in this. They, they're they really like the forefathers of, of blockchain and Bitcoin and, you know, this whole ecosystem. I, I just think that's so cool that we are, like you said, we're the hodlers of last resort. You know, um, a lot of people, I've seen people in like the trading community and, you know, some of them have products to sell, but whatever. Um, they are anti-hodling, or they don't even like the term, or whatever you know. And it's like, well, like you said, we we are the ones without it, you know. The whole ecosystem—it's just your—it's just speculation, uh, you know. At that point, it's just people, you know, trading, trading uh, back and forth. So, yeah, it's interesting to think about where we'll be. Uh, you know, 10 years, 20 years down the road. And so I wanted to ask you like one or two more things. Where do you think uh, Trump was like minus 700? Uh, I'm a bit, you know, I like to keep my eye on lines and stuff like that. And uh, he was minus 700, I think, at one point to win re-election before this crisis. And now he's, I don't, I didn't look at the odds before we got on here, but it was nearly even with uh, a few weeks ago, at least I haven't checked them out in a few weeks, but anyways, the odds changed drastically after the, after uh, the virus hit and he's like minus minus one ten now, or almost even money to, to be reelected. What do you think about his reelection? Do you think Trump will be reelected?
1: So just up front, you know, I'm politically agnostic as far as a podcaster goes. So I don't want your audience to get upset at anything that I happen to say, but bottom line, I think he's a shoe in mainly because Biden is such a train wreck. The guy is literally suffering from Alzheimer's disease. Right. And, you know, I, uh, I disagree with a lot of his political positions. But frankly, I think it's sad to see some of his media appearances. And if he were my dad or my grandfather, I, think, I hope I would have the decency to pull him aside. and be like, Dad, you know what? You're, let, let's get you out of here. Um, my conspiracy theory brain starts to take over and then I start to think, okay, he hasn't announced his VP yet. Maybe they're just trying to use his physical human form to get them across the finish line and whoever his VP is will actually be the de facto president, but I don't think it matters. I think, uh, Trump has an amazing ability to assign blame to others and he can very easily pin his whole phony impeachment on the democrats and say hey look you know we as americans could have been focused on this global pandemic and getting prepared but you were too busy and, and because of who he is and the way he says things i mean just listen to the way those words rolled off my tongue you know i personally couldn't do that toward myself because i'm in the habit of taking responsibility right. but, but he sure does it so he's gonna <laughs> do a fantastic job of winning people over and they saying yeah you know what It's somebody else's fault. It's China's fault. It's the Democrats' fault. It's anybody but Trump's fault. So I I think he's a shoo-in as far as re-election goes. I I initially thought that maybe the deep state would pull the plug on his phony stock market. Uh, But now the global pandemic did that for him. So people are going to say, oh, well, if it weren't for that once in a 100 year global pandemic, (laughs) then we all would have been fine. But we had a weak economy beforehand. That's really what the virus has shown us. Uh, so I, I think he's going to win re-election. in terms of, you know, who would I personally like to see? I, I'm slightly biased. Uh, the only politician I've ever had on my show was Ron Paul. He's too old and he's probably not interested. So I don't think he's going to get it, but uh, I'll take a moment to give my brother a shout out. He and uh, Cal who played Satoshi in our Bitcoin music video have a podcast called the libertarian crusaders. And they just interviewed, Libertarian presidential candidate Jacob Hornberger, which I'd urge everybody to go check out. Uh probably the kindest, sincerest person other than maybe Tulsi Gabbard, who's still left in the race. So Yeah, I'm with,
0: we, we're, Sorry, i didn't mean to cut you off there. We're both the anarcho capitalists, so uh I personally honestly don't vote at all. But I was just curious what you thought about, you know, him getting reelected and uh if you are gonna vote, Libertarian Party would probably be the way to go. Um in, in uh in the elections and uh Ron Paul is definitely uh one of uh, definitely my one of my heroes and I think he's one of your heroes as well. I'm envious that you got him on the podcast. That's pretty cool. So do you have any final thoughts uh you wanna you wanna shoot out to uh, my audience or anybody out there about anything that's going on right now.
1: Yeah, you know, I will say that I know that everyone in your audience loves crypto. They're diehard but outside of our tiny little circle, these are dark days in the crypto community. I think a lot of people are struggling to get their name out there. They are probably discouraged because they lost their day job and now they're still trying to work their crypto podcast on the side. I'm not sure about this, I'm just kind of reading the tea leaves. And so the best thing you can do is, you know go find other good channels, Subscribe, hit the notification bell, give them a thumbs up, give nice little comments. Even if, you know, they're talking about Bitcoin cash and you think that's a worthless project, you know, just say, hey, you know what? I appreciate what you're doing. Little things like that. I think that really helps because we're kind of a very small community and we're in this together. And as far as the fear greed index goes in Bitcoin, I haven't checked it lately. I'm sure it's not great. I'm sure it's down to like, you know, under a 20 handle or something like that. So, you know, the sentiment in the community overall isn't good, but a lot of people, you know, the names, they're still putting out great content, working hard through these dark ages of crypto. Um, You know, one of, two of those people, first is uh, Naomi Brockwell, I'd like to send her a shout out. She puts out great content nearly every day. So I would urge folks to check out her channel. And then another guy is uh, John Kim. He's rolling out a new channel called, or a new episode, I guess, to his channel. It's going to be called The Masked Influencer. And he's going to bring on an influencer once or twice a week and interview them. And the goal is for the audience to try to figure out who it is behind the mask or whatever. So, you know, fun, new, interesting ways to try to draw more attention to crypto. So uh, I think his first episode is tomorrow night. And uh, everybody should go check him out. So that, that, that's, that's the idea is just kind of let's build one another up during these dar- darn dark times, man. I, I, we all remember the Halcyon days of, you know, $20,000 Bitcoin. Those were good.
0: I think they'll be here sooner than, uh, they'll be back sooner than most people think, but we'll, we'll see here. I appreciate you coming on. Do you want to tell everyone, I know you told everyone where to get your book, but, uh, you want to shout out your links real quick for the Kennedy finance and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, go to philipkennedy.com, philip with one L, kennedy.com. You can just give me your email address, get the book for free every once in a while. I don't ping you every day. I'm not like uh, some of these other guys. I just, for me, the enjoyment comes from, you know, making content, not necessarily hitting up my email list, trying to sell people something every day. But uh, if they want to check me out on YouTube, I got good guests coming on almost every week for different roundtables on Sound Money. Uh, so you could find that on YouTube, Philip Kennedy financial, just search that. That should be the first thing that comes up and then go through some of those old episodes. I'm proud of a few of them, you know, safe Dean debating Michael Pento on Bitcoin, uh, trace Mayer trying to educate Bill Murphy and Dave Collum on why Bitcoin is going to replace gold. I think, you know, it's stuff that holds up. And if you're not familiar with it and you're just coming into this scene because you know, RL and you love Bitcoin, go back and look at
0: some of the older stuff because, this story has been playing out for quite a while. Definitely check out his show. He has some of the best guests. I, I really love watching your show. So, if, so if you ever stop doing, it, I'm going to be pretty bored. <laughs> That's how <laughs> I, I spend doing. at least 45 minutes of my leisure time a few days, three or four days a week. So, uh, I appreciate you coming on, Phil Philip. And uh, it's April seventh, 2020. This is just for uh, future reference for people out there. Bitcoin price is I didn't it, before we got on here. It was 73.50. Litecoin around hovering around 44 dollars. Ethereum around one seventy. And I've been looking at Chainlink, and I'm not going to stop talking about it. It's up about sixty cents in the last two or three days. Now it's up to two eighty four two eighty three, and it's up over seventeen percent for the last twenty four hours before we got on this. So uh, everybody, uh, thanks for listening, and uh, I hope you come back on again soon, Philip.
1: Yeah, anytime, RL. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, I'll say goodbye to you here in a moment.